Awesome. Well, it's good to see you again. And uh, I'll reiterate what I said this morning uh, in the sense that uh, this is a safe place for you. And that's something that's really important for me um, to let you know of if you're here asking questions, if you're here journeying along. Um, our doors are wide open. Also, I want to give a shout out on the live stream uh, to a handful of Ukrainians in Odessa um, with Pastor Jerry and James. Uh, they're huddled, I'm assuming, in an underground restaurant or something based on the Facebook posts I'm seeing, watching a live stream. So, hi guys. And uh, yeah, they're having an absolute blast. I know that um, James had sent me a text and it was his birthday while they were flying and KLM treated them really nice and all that good stuff. So, um, yeah. I'm happy you're here today, and uh, it's Mother's Day. Mom, happy Mother's Day. Mother-in-law, who I think might still be outside, happy Mother's Day. Uh, but I'm, I'm excited that you came here on Mother's Day uh, to church, of all places. And maybe you had breakfast in bed, like some of the kids were saying, or maybe you have a dinner planned a little later on today. Um, but you've chosen this special day to spend with us. And uh, I think that's exciting, and I, I think there's something... Um, there's something cool about that, and I think as you come here today, uh, I encourage you actually, as you come here today, to open your heart up and to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart through today's message. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your faithfulness. God, we thank you for moms. We thank you for women who have shined in our lives as examples of you, who have been there when we needed them the most, who you've worked through to provide for us. We just pray your blessings upon them today, and not just today, but every day. And God, we today ask that your Holy Spirit draw near to us, convict us where we need convicting, and ultimately, Lord Jesus, draw us nearer to you. And that's our prayer. In your name, amen. So today, we continue our series. We continue our series called The Upside Down Kingdom, which is journeying through the book of Matthew. And right now, we're in Matthew 5. And we've, we've done some talking over the last couple of weeks about Matthew 5 and, and the lessons that Jesus is teaching those who have gathered to come here. And today, uh, it just so happens that we're speaking Matthew 5, 20, verses 21 to 26. Now, if you open up your Bible to Matthew 5, verses 21 to 26, the subheading that you're going to see is murder. And when I was assigned this passage, I looked at the calendar, and then looked at my Bible, and then looked at the calendar, and looked at my Bible, and I said, oh, you're seriously going off to the Ukraine and then sticking me on Mother's Day to talk about murder. Yeah. Welcome to Soul Sanctuary. We're glad that you've joined us. So this might just be the craziest Mother's Day sermon you've ever heard. But I challenge you today to buckle in and enjoy the ride as we explore Matthew 5, verses 21 to 26, and see what Jesus is teaching us, and see what Jesus has to say to us, and see how that impacts our life today. So we'll start by, of course, reading Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 to 26. If you don't have a Bible, there's a sweet app called the Bible app, or version. Uh, you can download that for free in the App Store, or you can 
get one of these ones. These ones don't run out of batteries. Or you could look up at the screen and you will see our passage there. I have to find my passage first. There we go. Matthew 5, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in the danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. And do it while you are still on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge will hand you to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth. You will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, the context of this is Jesus' teaching. And, and his teaching on murder is going one step further. And we're actually going to address today the topic of anger. And full disclosure off the start of this thing is that I stand up here as a human being, totally prone to anger. You might resonate with me on this one. The, the anger that I express is often bottled up. I'm the kind of person who, when I get angry, I take it all in, I take it all in, I take it all in to the point where my lid blows off, and there's always some point. It might be me screaming into the pillow, maybe. It might be me having a conversation with somebody, but that goes off, and my anger comes out. I stand up here fully admitting the fact that as I teach on a passage of anger, I am nothing more than a journeyer with you. But I do believe that the Lord has used these words and has given me words to share with you today that can truly impact your life. I don't stand up here on a platform to say I'm holier than you. I am here to say that I'm a humble servant of God and I truly believe that if we listen to his word and what it has to say, it will radically change our lives. Has anybody ever said something out of anger? Hands up in here. I confess, everyone who does not have their hand up is just the recipients of anger. <laughs> anger. Have you ever seen the words, hands up on this one too, come out of your mouth and you just can't catch them. And you know there are consequences, but they're coming out anyway. Anybody been there? A couple of you? Okay. Uh, again, if you didn't, probably the recipients. Counseling will happen after. I, I remember for me, there's one moment that stands out in my mind of, of that moment where you just see the words going and you know what those words are going to do. And it was when I told my wife shortly after being married to just chill. I will speak very candidly to the wildlife and young life gentlemen, never say those words. And if anybody else out there has, you know my pain, you know our suffering. And not only were my words out of a place of anger, but they did everything to evoke an angry response. Just chill. You make that mistake once. Today we're talking about anger. 
And we can laugh about it in some respect, but at the end of the day, we see that the scripture takes anger seriously. And that Jesus has some very strong words that we need to open our hearts to when it comes to this topic of anger. In Matthew 5, 21 to 26, we have Jesus, and he begins a, a dialogue on an Old Testament commandment. And the commandment is do not murder. Jesus kind of opens this, this passage which, which, with introducing an Old Testament commandment that his audience would have been very familiar with. Not only was it a social law at the time, but it was a religious law for the Jews. It was do not murder. Don't take somebody else's life. That's not yours to take. So they would have been familiar with this. But in classic Jesus fashion, he doesn't just give you the commandment and let it be. He takes it one step further. And next week, Pastor Jordan McClellan, he's going to talk uh, about the passage actually right before murder. I'm not sure how that all worked out, and he got that one and I got this one. But he's going he's gonna to talk about that passage, which, which talks about how Jesus will take an Old Testament commandment and really add on to it and expect more from us. And how Jesus says, I, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And this passage that we're getting to, Jesus takes this Old Testament commandment of do not murder and brings it one step further. This is what Jesus does. He meets us where we are at and he takes us into deeper things, journeying alongside of him. And this is what the passage says. It says, I, I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, let me pause for a moment to remind you of something. I need to remind you that Jesus loves you. We don't like to talk about the concept of judgment. We don't like to talk about the concept of hell. In fact, we usually don't like to talk about the concept of sin. These are things that make us uncomfortable. They're things that make us squirm. They're things that we'd rather just put off to the back burner and only talk about the love, grace, mercy. But to understand love in its truest and purest form, we have to acknowledge that there's something on the other end of this equation. Jesus reminds us that if you murder somebody, there is consequence for that action. And he goes further to say that if you're angry with somebody, there is consequence for that action. But here's where his love comes in, in the midst of judgment, in the midst of punishment. Jesus' love for us is manifested in that it offers an alternative to judgment. It offers an alternative to judgment. If you murder somebody, you're going to pay a price. Whether that price is social or that price uh, is spiritual, you're going to pay a price for your act of murder. But the way that Jesus puts it is, I would rather you be free from the anger that leads you to taking somebody out. I would rather you experience the freedom of, of, of that path that goes down to anger, which ends in murder or ends in harsh words. I would rather you experience freedom. And he makes that alternative available to us. He says, you have a chance to get on the road to freedom from anger, and here is how you do it. We'll get to the next passage in a, just a second, but let's talk about anger for a minute. What is anger? Obviously, Jesus in this passage, when we, when we bring in the judgment side of things, he's setting a high bar. 
He's setting a precedent when it comes to anger. There's an English proverb. It says, he is a fool who cannot be angry, but he is wise who will not remain so. This idea of anger that Jesus is addressing needs to be distinguished from other forms of anger. Anger itself is not sinful. In the Gospels, we see that Jesus expresses himself anger. It's how we express that anger that matters. It's when anger happens, it's in the happening of anger that we need to consider. What we should be angered at are things that are in contrary to the love of God. We should be angered at things like sin. We should be angered at things like injustice. We should be angered at things like abuse, things like neglect. These are things that we should be angry about. Anything which operates opposite of the love of God should stir in us an anger, should stir in us not just a dissatisfaction, but an actual expression that that is not okay. I just finished watching um, the Netflix original, uh, 13 Reasons Why. And whatever your opinions are on 13 Reasons Why, th th those are yours. But I'm just going to share with you an insight into my life. I work with high school students every single day. And, and so whether it's in a classroom setting or it's in a youth setting, or often it takes the form of one-on-one -on -one relationship building, mentorship, working with a team of leaders here who are in this room who disciple and mentor our high school students, reminding them that they don't have to do life alone. But the reality is, is that the words that we use and the words that are used within the context of high school burn. They cut they sting, they destroy, and seeing that played out in, an, in a screen play was, was shocking to me and, and, and hurt my heart, and mostly because I see it depicted every day in the actual real-life high school context in Winnipeg. And, and this is what we need to be angry about. And I will be honest with you, this is what angers me. This is what gets to me at the bottom of my heart. Jesus, in this passage, is forbidding the anger by which we hurt so many. He is forbidding temperamental anger, the decision to have an angry heart or to be an angry person. And Jesus takes this so seriously for two reasons. Well, arguably for a million reasons, but we'll talk about two today. The first one is that anger gives our enemy a foothold. There is a very real God, and for there to be a very real God, there is a very real enemy. And to downplay the role that the enemy has in our life is to give him a victory of sorts. Because there's an enemy who is looking to steal. There is an enemy who is looking to kill, who is looking to destroy. Ephesians 4.26 says, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the enemy a foothold. When we are angry people, we become experts on other people's weaknesses. Instead of calling out their strengths, instead of edifying somebody for what they can do, we're really quick to focus on what they can't do, what they're bad at, and we do a really good job of letting them know it. When angerness comes into our heart and bitterness as a result seeps out, we become experts at what people can't do instead of edifying what they can. And instead of praising their strengths, we harp on their weaknesses. And in doing so, we allow an enemy in. We allow an enemy too close 
to our heart. And that's played out in the second reason why Jesus is so serious about anger. It's that it destroys you and it destroys those around you. Anger is toxic. Uh, my old boss, his name is Joe Kendrick. Some of you might remember him. He used to work here at Soul Sanctuary. Uh, Joe is the kind of guy that loves everything. Absolutely everything Joe loved. It would be, uh, we, would, we would go out for breakfast, and it would be like an Alto's $4 special breakfast, and it would be the best breakfast he has ever had. And you're sitting across the table eating your, your mass-produced hash browns that came out of a bag, and you're thinking to yourself, maybe this is the best breakfast I've ever had. And then you'd go out, and, and we'd get a Starbucks, and Joe would be like, I have this coffee every day, but this one is the best coffee I have ever had. And I'm thinking, drinking my dark roast, maybe it is. He's rubbing off on me a little bit. This is the best coffee I've ever had. These are the people that we want to surround ourselves with. People who love. People who are excited about life. People who love $4 Alto breakfast. <laughs> they become the biggest advocate of things. In the same respect, they call out the good in you. Joe had this habit of calling out the good in me when I didn't see it. And it's a habit that I envy. Actually, I want to be able to do that better. But when I was down and when I was out and when I had no self-confidence, he was the one who was able to call that good out in me and say, no, you can do it. No, you can step to the next level. I coach high school soccer. That's one of the biggest things. Is, is we, we, we're at a school that's a little bit smaller compared to the other schools in Winnipeg. And uh, we, we just have to draft all our athletes. We just... Okay, you're a basketball player? Great, you're on the soccer team. You're going to play soccer with us. And one of the biggest things in coaching students who, are, who, have, are, who have passed the age of, of uh, developing the fundamental basic skills, they're, they're just not going to catch up in three months to where they should be. But one of the biggest things is a willing heart, an attitude to listen, and, and, and to, um, to learn. They want to learn. But the flip side to that is simply encouragement and telling them that they can do it, and telling them that they can go out and compete against the best. When, when a high school boy has the confidence that he can achieve something, he achieves absolutely incredible things, far beyond what I could have ever expected when I sent him out on the field. And, and my point is this, that anger destroys you and those around you in the same way that goodness gives off and rubs off to, to those around you. Bitterness is contagious. You want to surround yourself with happy people. You don't want to surround yourself with bitter people. But when you are around bitter people, you yourself find bitterness in your heart. And, and it's this nasty shoulder rubbing that happens. And maybe you've seen it play out before. Maybe it's in your workplace. Maybe it's in your family gathering that you're going to after this. You know there is a bitter person there, and you worry for yourself. You worry for your kids because it's rubbing off. No one likes to be around a bitter person. Anger is contagious. In the same respect I said earlier, I'm the kind of person that I just I, I bottle it in, and it's unhealthy, and I get that, and I'm working on it, and I embrace God's grace in this area. But you bottle it in and bottle it in. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you're just like an off-the-chain, exploding kind of person. Where are you with your anger? Ask yourself this question. Sticks and stones may break my bones. Nobody got it. Anybody? But words will never 
hurt me. Absolutely. And we know this to be a farce. Anybody who went, who went to high school knows this to be a farce. Anybody who's been in any sort of fight knows this to be a farce. You and I know the power of words. The potential that our tongues have to destroy one another. I haven't been in many fights in my life, believe it or not. This, this frame doesn't handle fight well. But in grade six, I got in a fight. And it was a fight. Uh, you remember mini sticks? The mini stick hockey? Okay, there were two classes of grade six. And uh, the boys just like, we competed in mini sticks every recess, every lunch hour, every recess, before school, after school. If we could play mini sticks, we were playing mini sticks. And we were playing mini sticks, and we had this, um, uh, what's the word? It's like, where you, yeah, in the parking lot, you put the rocks and the trees and then whatever, but the, just the curb existed. There was nothing in it. It was just concrete and the curb. So it was like, this is a perfect hockey rink. You got little mini boards for your little mini sticks and the little mini ball and the little mini nets. And we're just like, we play and we went, we went hard. And I'll never forget having an Anaheim Mighty Ducks goalie stick. And I lent it to somebody and they broke it. Snapped in two. And so without a stick, I can't play mini sticks. So I went off and we played touch football. And the guy who broke my mini stick was playing touch football. We're, we're, throwing, we're in the parking lot, touch football is going down. And I just remember stretching out to touch him, but I clipped his foot and he went down straight on the asphalt. And uh, he was mad. And he came up saying some words that we won't repeat, but grade six, you can imagine. <laughs> you stinker. Um, we got up, and we were walking inside, and uh, the next thing I remember is that there was somebody's arm around my neck, and I was seeing spots, and we hit the, the concrete, and then there was a pileup of a whole bunch of boys, and uh, you think, yeah, this frame doesn't, that doesn't support conflict now. In grade six, I was like the smallest, smallest. There's hope for some of you guys in the second row. You will grow. I was smaller. You'll get there. So... In our grade six boy testosterone flare-up, we hit the ground, and uh, we go inside, and we're separated, and myself and the, and the guy who broke my mini stick, but also uh, came at me afterwards, we're in the guidance counselor's office, the counselor has a couple words with us, sends us back to class, and then the fight broke out again in class, and a couple desks were pushed and shoved, and we were back in the guidance counselor's office. Here's my point, is that that, that quick arm wrapped around my neck and that quick desk pushed into my leg, uh, maybe, maybe left a bruise for a day. The effects of our physical altercation were minimal. But I can remember the words said to me in grade six. Heck, I can remember the words said to me two weeks ago that still haunt my dreams at night, that still haunt my heart as I carry them around. And I can Hazard a good guess that you sitting in here recall those words said to you. My physical altercations were minor, but it's the words that stick. The punches hurt the body, but the words wound the soul. And this is a serious problem. And this is what Jesus is outlining as sin. There's generally three expressions of anger. Uh, how, how you deal with it when, it when it comes out, or when it hits that surface point. Some of you in here are the say-it-as-it-is kind of person. 
You're rude. You're abrasive. You know what? Something has angered you. Maybe somebody cut in front of you at Old Navy, and you're going to let them know that this is not okay. And you give it to them, and, and, and coming out is just venom. And, and it, your tongue stings. You don't let the other people get a word, and you are there to hurt feelings when you are angry. That's one expression. Then there's the people who are passive-aggressive, our favorites. You write long, angry emails, and then at the end, you sign it with, not angry, just wondering. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or better yet, you sign it with, in Christ, your brother or sister. <laughs> this is passive-aggressive anger, which is not fair in any way, shape, or form to the person that you're addressing. It's a problem. This passive-aggressive nature confuses the person that you have an issue with and backs them into a corner where they're replaying that situation over and over and over and over in their head because they think, well, like, did I do something wrong? Or were they really just wondering? And then there's the behind-the-back. You talk about others when they're not present. When everybody is gone except for your one or two besties, you, you lay it out. This person did X, Y, Z. Did you see what they were X, Y, Z? This is a problem. When we look back to the text, the law, the law of do not murder protected life. But Jesus' command of do not be angry protects persons. Words that take from a person their honor before other people are placed under God's wrath of judgment. They are contrary to what Jesus has outlined for us. The law focused on personal righteousness, but Jesus focused on the protection of our fellow man and woman. Jesus' love of mercy for everybody extends into his commandments, and we see it over and over and over. The scripture uses two words. It uses the word raka, which is essentially a translation of you idiot or you blockhead is really what it comes down to. It's an attack on somebody's intelligence. Ask yourself, have you ever attacked somebody's intelligence before? In the superstore parking lot. The next word they use is fool, which means you jerk. It's an attack on somebody's character. Have you ever attacked somebody's character before? We think these are normal expressions of anger. We think this is just completely um, akin to our nature, but Jesus reminds us that our nature is in fact sick. Jesus is a healer. And not only did he heal the physically sick with a supernatural touch, but he has prescribed a cure for the pains that we suffer in deep places. Going back to the text, Jesus says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. The first couple of verses deal with anger and subsequent judgment. And now Jesus is shifting focus to how we deal with each other. This is like the practical guideline that he's breaking down for us. How do you deal with one another? Notice carefully in this passage, 
if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. If someone is angry at you, then press pause on your worship, get up, go, and be reconciled to your brother or sister. Jesus is talking to his followers in this instance, and he is holding his followers to a very high standard. It's not, if you're angry with somebody, go work it out. He says, no, if you even so much as think that they are angry at you, and you're in the temple offering your gift, this is, this is Jewish context here, so they're worshiping God in the temple, so if, if you're in church singing songs, and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, press pause, go deal with it, and then come back to worship God. The, the importance of reconciliation in the message of Jesus cannot be understated. Jesus implores us to seek out those who might have something against us, whether that something is justified or unjustified. Sometimes reconciliation means owning what we've done and owning even more than what we've done for the good of the body of Christ. And this is a tough message to hear from Jesus. This is not fair. Sometimes it means seeking out my brother who I have wronged and owning my wrongs with him and owning more than my wrongs with him for the good of our relationship within the body of Christ. It goes against everything that we know to be true and right and just. It is not fair. And how does that work in with a God of justice and a God who, who is presumably fair? It works in insofar as the fact that God's love doesn't make sense. God's grace for us doesn't make sense. The love and grace that he has offered to us, that Jesus has offered to us by his death on the cross to cover our sins does not make sense. It falls outside of our logic because logically sin equals death. But with Jesus, grace equals life. He owned more than he had to on the cross for us. And his command in turn is be reconciled with your brother and sister. Figure out what it takes to restore that relationship. Jesus is for reconciliation. We come to worship here at this place, at Soul Sanctuary. We come to worship in vain if we are unwilling to reconcile with others. Jesus is in the business of social reconciliation, of working on your relationships with one another so that they may not be fully complete and restored to where you're buddy-buddy again, but where there is no hostility between you. We are his hands and feet in this process of reconciliation, even when it is not fair. The scripture says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Coming from Romans 12, 18. Not only is this not fair, but it's painful. How many of you have tried to be reconciled with somebody in your life only to have that door closed on your face? 
And, and you take all that energy just to get to that point of saying, I'm sorry. Only for somebody to not accept your apology. Nothing hurts more than rejection. And this is when the scripture comes in. This is when we can take a little bit of comfort in Romans 12, 18. As far as it depends on you, the scripture is instructing us, take the onus, own it, and bring it to somebody, whoever you need to bring it to, to deal with it. And if they're there and they've rejected it, then, then don't knock on their door every day and say, I'm here to say sorry. Don't give them a phone call every single day. I'm here to say sorry. But as far as it depends on you, do your best. Make your intentions clear. I, I have to own what I've done in my relationship with you. And guess what? I've hurt you and I am sorry for that. When our feelings are not reciprocated, nothing hurts so much. But we remember that the call and the onus is on us. That Jesus has instructed us. The scripture goes on to say, Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. And do it while you're still together on your way. Or your adversary might turn you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and then you might be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. Jesus tells us to say sorry and to seek reconciliation quickly. Before you're even off to the court, before you're even off to the mediating party, don't let the anger fester and brew to that point. Deal with it. And, and deal with it quickly. Deal with it often. Sometimes if you've been deeply wounded, and I'm not here to trivialize the anger you feel as a result of deep, deep wounds in any way, shape, or form. Sometimes when you're deeply wounded, the process of reconciliation looks like giving it up every single day when you wake up, at noon, and when you go to bed. Sometimes those things sting and hurt and play in the back of your mind, but in order to be free from them, that process is a daily step-by-step, step, one foot in front of the other process. And it's tough, and it hurts, but it's what Jesus has asked us to do. God's invitation to us is to simply keep laying it at his feet and to trust in him. To, to, to trust in him as our support. And we look at a command like this, like anger is punishable. Like just anger, like I'm going to feel angry, I'm going to react. Isn't this too much of a command? Isn't this too high of a bar to set? Jesus, this standard, this is unreasonable. It's only in a life lived alongside Jesus Christ. It's only in a life that, that works step by step with the Holy Spirit that such a command is even possibly attainable. It is a radical command, but what Jesus does is challenge us on our complacencies. This reaction of anger is normal. This reaction of anger is, this is just who I am. When people cut me off at Old Navy. This is who I am. But Jesus says, no, you are so much more. You are a person created for relationship with me. Perfectly designed to have a relationship with your creator. And he challenges this complacency. To draw near to him. He encourages us to walk alongside of him. 
to rely on his grace when we lose it and to constantly be desiring more. Like I said at the beginning, it's only by the grace of God that I can accept, that I can be here and say any of this to you because I am not perfect. I do not have my anger figured out. But God makes a way in our hearts when we decide to draw near to him, when we decide to to, to adhere our lives to what he has in store for us, for us to use that grace. The scripture says in John 13.35, By this all people shall know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. We get angry with Christians. Christians get angry with Christians because we expect the most out of them. You don't don't expect maybe your neighbor or somebody else to let you down if you don't have high expectations. If if there's nothing to expect, you you can't be let down. And sadly, some of you have been let down over and over and over again that you bring no expectations into your relationships anymore. But Jesus tells us that others will see, people on the outside will see the love that you have for one another and will be drawn to me because of it. So I ask you, what do you need to own up to today? What do you need to seek forgiveness from? Where is the reconciliation that you need in your life? You know you the best. You know where it is in your heart, the dark places. I have two reminders for you and encouragements for you as the band comes back up. The first one is that Jesus works in little steps of obedience. His commands first humble us. We see this right through Matthew 5 as we've been journeying through. He humbles us with his commands. But then they lift us by driving us to action. That he he asks something of us, a tangible action to be carried out. It drives us into action. For Peter, the next step was to step outside of the boat. Literally, a next step. Maybe your next step here today is working toward the process of reconciliation with those in your life that you know you need to be reconciled to. Obeying Jesus means to embrace the Holy Spirit's lead. And the Holy Spirit rejects our fleshly desires and instead replaces them for a desire of God, a desire which is so much more than our bodies by themselves can wish for. And sometimes our little step of obedience may end in a door closed in our face. And sometimes our little step of obedience may mean rejection by our fellow man. But it's in those moments that we trust in the goodness of our God. We trust that our God has a plan laid out for us. He tells us to trust in him because what other option at that point do we have? The second point is simple. It's that Jesus saves. Jesus saves. To accept his commands with faith and sincerity is to be saved from the judgment of sin. The scripture is clear on this. To trust in him 
And, and to work alongside of him to embrace his grace is to free yourself from a lifetime of bitterness. It's to free yourself from being an angry, toxic person who no one wants to be around and is infecting others. To embrace grace is to say, okay, I don't have it all together. I'm not perfect, but Jesus, I'm going to try. And Lord, I'm going to follow your commands the best that I can, knowing full well that when I don't, because I'm human, that I can embrace the grace that you've given to us through your death on the cross. Grace is available to you and me, no matter where you are, what you've done, where you've come from. Grace is available. I said earlier, God will meet you where you are at, and he will walk with you into deeper things. We have a couple minutes here. We're going to go into a brief time of reflection. So I encourage you, bow your heads and close your eyes. We're not going to do anything weird. Nobody's going to touch you or put their finger in your ear. Just close your eyes and bow your heads with me. If you're here today and being honest with yourself, you can admit that you have an angry heart, that you're prone to outbursts. Maybe you're prone to pouting. You're prone to bitterness. You're just, you're prone to anger. Would you lift your hand up? This is, a, this is a tangible response to the scripture that we just read. This is a tangible response, an act of confession. Put your hand up. You can put them down. If you know you need to have a conversation this week, and maybe you're not looking forward to it, but you know that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you through this passage this morning, would you put your hand up? If you have a conversation to have, this week you have a real shot of being more like Jesus. You can put them down. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come forward to the front. And I'm going to pray. It would be mean of me to, to talk on this passage and not give you an opportunity to respond. So members of our prayer team are going to come. They're just going to stand up here at the front. They're just regular people who have embraced grace. That's all they are. And they are here for you. They're going to minister to you here this morning. Because the fact is that you were not meant to walk this road alone. So allow our community to come alongside you and to support you. Just come on up, tell them your name, and tell them what you need prayer for. If you're going to respond to the Holy Spirit in this way, it's worth telling somebody. After you've been convicted in your heart based on this passage that we read, it's worth telling somebody because by the time that you're in the parking lot, and by the time that you get into your vehicle and drive off to that, that family gathering with, with that bitter person there, you'll have forgotten this message. Because it's a lot easier to walk out of here with no change in your life than to embrace grace and work toward a change. I, I think that this is a, an opportunity to just be obedient if you feel the Holy Spirit working in your heart. Be obedient to God and in doing so glorify Him. 
before I pray, I, I just remind you that the, the only healing for, for deep-seated anger comes from Jesus Christ. So, Lord Jesus, I just pray for our hearts. And you know where we're at as we come into this place. You know what we're feeling. You know the relationships that are broken, God. And today we heard your word. And we've heard what you have said to us. And God, I pray that you would move in our hearts and stir us to action so that we can become more like you. Amen. I invite you to stand with us. If you're in need of prayer this morning, to come up on up to the front. And we're going to pray for your relationships. We're going to pray for the Holy Spirit to empower you. We're going to pray for you to embrace the grace of Jesus Christ and to be able to dish that out in your relationship. So, uh, it comes from the book of Matthew chapter 5. And it's where Jesus says very simply, blessed are the peacemakers. And I think that that provides a context into our life lesson today. And so, with that being said, in times of old, one giving a blessing would raise their hands and, and those receiving a blessing would do likewise. So simply put, if you'd like a blessing today, would you raise your hands? Community of Soul Sanctuary, as you go today, remember simply that blessed are the peacemakers. We'll see you next week.